Well, it's a great joy to have Marika here to speak with us this morning. As you know, we're looking at the book of Proverbs and we're looking at wisdom. So it's wonderful that we can have input from Marika. Should I introduce you or do you want to share a bit about yourself or should I? Um, oh, what is there to share about me? Um, my accent is Dutch. My name is Dutch because I'm Dutch. So that takes away the first 10 minutes when you begin to think, hmm, I wonder where she's from. Where is she? So I'm from Holland. I've been in the city for 30 years. Uh, so I've lived longer now in, my, uh, in this city than in my own country. Um, I know Neil because I studied at Regents. Um, I work in the city, um, I've been working for a trust who resources new projects, new community projects from Christians who want to do new things in the city. I'm a pastoral worker in the church and I do a bit of teaching, so I do various bits and bobs. Is that all? <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, it's really great to have you with us, Marika. Okay, um, would you... You will read. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Proverbs chapter 31. And um, we are going to be starting from verse 10 right through to 31. So I will just read that for us. Proverbs 31, verse 10 to 31. A capable wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ship of the merchant and brings her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and tasks for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid for her household when it snows, for all her household are clothed in crimson. She makes herself coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the city gates, taking his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchant with sashes. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her happy. Her husband too, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a share in the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the city gates. Thank you. So this is such a glorious passage with so many facets and uh, while I was reading it, once again, I was just so delighted that when we think of the wisdom and the book of Proverbs, where, you know, you think of the heavenly wisdom and this, this cosmic wisdom, that really what it's doing it here, it's working it out in the everyday life of us. And uh, so as an individual, as a collective, 
how are we working out this life of wisdom which brings honor to him? And um, uh, so really what it does, it speaks about the glory of the everyday. So it zooms in on our everyday. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to zoom in, but I'm also going to zoom out slightly uh, so that we're not only looking at Proverbs 31, but slightly how does this book fit into, this chapter fit into the wider book as well? And how does it fit into the role of the church in our time? Um, so it's an expression of, of wisdom which is celebrated in daily life. And um, what's really important is that it comes forth from her love of God, her desire to be someone who brings him good every day. Um, and that's obviously also our desire, I hope. But I don't know about you, but when we look at this description of this woman it's quite overwhelming actually I put it on Facebook and someone wrote it's quite intimidating uh, uh, but that's not how it's meant to be because if I think of myself I'm not married I don't have children I don't run an enterprise I'm not an artisan so there's so many things which are not like me and you probably have to say and when you're a man, you've got a really big problem. But this book is really meant and not to think of what is the amount of facets to her life, but more what is the character which we bring to life? What is the nobility? What is the wisdom? What's the character which we bring to how we do things? So you may be a grandmother, a neighbor. There's so many aspects, an employee, a student, a daughter or a son of someone, you may be a father, you may be a school governor. What is the character that we bring to our life and obviously to our worship of God? Because if you think of where a noble woman is mentioned in the Bible, you will see it here in Ruth. It says of Ruth, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And that was when Ruth was a refugee. You know, she did not have a husband or children or uh, influence uh, in a massive way. She was just a woman living out her life in that stage. But of her, it could be said she was a woman of noble character. So it's the character we bring to the roles and it's the wisdom in action. So if I think of life and that fear of God, maybe can you click along with me? Um, the fear of God, I really think of a, of a diamond. If you think of our life, there's so many facets to our life. Just think for a moment, what are the facets to your life? Are you a child? Are you a parent? Are you an employee? Are you a good neighbor? Are you someone who takes responsibilities in the wider community, maybe in the cafe in which you work? What are the facets to our lives? And there are many facets actually to our lives. And um, if we want to bring him good all the days of our life, can you click through um, to the next slide? To the next slide? To the next slide? Yeah? We bring him good all the days of our life. That is in retirement, in our school, college, leisure, in our hospitality, in the way we relate to those who are in hardship, as we also see with this woman. That's the, the enormous amount of facets that there can be to our life. So what you see in the wider book of Proverbs 
is, and that you'll see that in the next slide, prospering is communal in character, it's relational in character. It says when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. So when we lead righteous lives, like this woman is leading a righteous life, it's the wider community who rejoices, it's the wider community who really benefits. So when we steward our time and our gifting and our talents and our house well, and we do that for the common good, and we employ all the talents that we have, we do that lovingly and strategically, it does the community good. Now, for example, if we look at one of the aspects of her life, she is a businesswoman. And what she brings to business is really quite substantial, isn't it? And um, I want to give an historic example of someone who brought that wisdom to business, and that was George Cadbury. Uh, of the chocolates, you know, you know the wonderful chocolates you are renowned for, all, probably all throughout. And George Cadbury was a Quaker, he was a Christian, and um, he not only built a wonderful, successful business and quality project, but also he made sure that his employees were living well that they had health care, that they had dental care, that they had a pension. They ran in Birmingham, you are from Birmingham, they ran a, a youth club every summer for 25,000 children of the deprived community. So you can see he brought a wisdom to being an entrepreneur, he brought a wisdom to the whole sphere in which he functioned, which then began to permeate not only his institution, but began to permeate the city, because he understood that prospering was not about maximum profit, it was about how does my gift shape the communal well-being. So he will say, you can see this in the next slide, he will say, we can do nothing of any value to God except in acts of genuine helpfulness done to our fellow man. And this is, was, there was a whole community of those Christian business people who understood that they were, like they say, they were guided by the divine light, by that divine wisdom. And um, they, they reformed something of the society as we knew it at that time. It wasn't just you know, charity, it was reform. They brought something of this communal well-being, this communal understanding, this relational understanding of prospering. And you see that in this woman as well. So the Quakers would have said, as you can read here, a sacred place, space of worship through deeds of love, righteousness, service, and commerce. So there was no understanding of this is my work and this is my worship. All of life is my worship. The way I do my job, the character I bring to my sphere, that is worship. What mattered was not a worldly riches, but a riches towards God expressed in gratitude, generosity, and a life of virtue. That's a beautiful historic example. Yesterday, I was, as you can see in this slide, um, I was at the launch of a young woman uh, here in Manchester. She is a she, she was a designer of uh, fabrics and of clothing, and she's just launched a fashion line. And uh, she's a Christian. And what she's done in the beginning of her business, she said, "I want to employ people." who need a step up in life, who've got no particular skills, but I want to make them skilled, and I want to give them an entrance, people maybe who have become part of the margins of society, how can my business help them, and how can I train them as I go along, so that my business is inclusive. I don't only want to make fashion which is... Um, um, 
you know, well, well designed. And I'm, you know, as this woman in, in Proverbs 31, she was an artisan. But I also want to make sure that the way I built my business is built on that wisdom and that understanding of God. We will have read, as you see in this slide, uh, in wisdom, uh, in Proverbs 3, we will have read, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. What a great way, isn't it? If we, if we somehow make life, we monetize life for ourselves, but the bigger riches is really the riches towards others towards God. That's a better return. Now, we don't run all a business, but, and this is my next statement, we all run an economy. And what do I mean by that? The word economy is made up of two, two Greek parts, oikos, which is the household, and nomos, which is the values, the principles with which we lead a household. So I, you could say, I'm a single household, but I run an economy. <laughs> you, whatever household you are, you run an economy. So there's principles, there's values which, which guide your household. The way you are hospitable, the way you are inclusive, maybe the aspect of how you organize your money. We all run an economy. And what I like about this woman, that there is an inclusivity of the poor. So you can see that here. That she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hand to the needy. So what I love about her life, it's not just about her and her family and her business, but it's got far wider perspective of who are those around me who've got very little agency, because this woman's got so much agency. And if we think of our life, we've got so much agency. We're all part of the riches of the world. We've got shelter, we've got bread, we've got uh, community. So this woman, again, she extends her arm to those who've got little. And. Uh, that is very much in line with the rest of the book of Proverbs, which we have read, because as you can see here, it says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And just before we've re reached um, this um, passage that not, um, um, was read out, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So what I would love to think is that we run an economy, a household which brings well-being, which brings peace, which includes others. Um, I myself, have, um, I'm part of a, I've signed up to a charity which is called Refugees at Home. And um, that's a charity which once in a while recognizes that some people are sleeping on our streets um, because they've fallen through the gaps and then they would ring me and said, can, can so-and-so stay with you for a while? And in April, I had a Kurdish couple coming to stay with me. And uh, that was because the government had all of a sudden stopped paying for their accommodation. So they were literally out on the street. And obviously, that needed to be challenged in court. But that court case preparation would take a few weeks. So they stayed in my house of a Muslim background. So I said to them, do you want to come to church on Sunday? And they did. So uh, 
I quickly WhatsApped a few of my friends in church saying, you know, um, I'm bringing some guests. And um, the, obviously the way you do this as well, you know, welcome at the door, lovely people who come and speak when guests come into, and that's our church as well. So they saw these lovely smiley faces, they heard about Jesus. And they'd heard in their village about Jesus because there had been a film about Jesus in one of the households. You can't bring them into the cinema film like that, but it, they had seen it in a household and it had made them cry or it made him cry. Um, so all of a sudden they come into a church, they hear about Jesus. But all through their stay in the United Kingdom, when they go to a food bank, it's Christians. When they go to a clothing bank, it's Christians. When they go to English language, it's <laughs> done by Christians. Now they stay in my house. Christians, wherever they go, there's Christians, there's no escaping from them. So it makes, no, it's true that it's that inclusivity of those who've got no agency in life, whereas we have got loads of agency in life. Um, and um, I bought them a Bible in their own language, and they began to read that. And, um, and then after, and we prayed for them, for their court case. And then after three weeks, um, the judge ordered the court case came, and the judge ordered the government to continue to pray for them while their asylum case was going on. So they were picked up from my house and brought to a new home somewhere in Liverpool or wherever. And um, I, I, I sent them the, the address of the church there, and then on the Sunday they, they emailed me a selfie uh, about a new church they were in, and they're now part of the Alpha course, and completely. So they found Christ. And why do they find Christ? Because of the body of Christ, yeah? And not just me, the body of Christ, who has been inclusive of the poor and who has seen that my prospering needs to include those who cannot prosper at this moment of time for whatever reason. In February, I had two Sudanese people staying with me and he was saying, so he had fled because his mother and brother were killed. He'd fled the country and he came through Italy and Spain and then I think through Liverpool and then in Manchester. And he says wherever he went, it was Christians. So this is a man who goes to the mosque, you know, prayed for hours. But wherever he goes, it's been Christians. So, and I think that's the wisdom of God in action, isn't it? That's the wisdom of God, that really, that sense of that wisdom brings a well-being, not just to ourselves. And if we do this collectively well, and, you know, these two testimonies of these people, they, you know, Christ, refugees becoming to Christ in their droves on the continent as well, in Germany and Holland, because of what they have met along their trajectory. Yeah? So what I hope is that we, in the next slide, that we bring a shalom economy, the way we run our household, whether it's individually or here collectively, or like you were praying, you know, all over the world, Christians, that we bring a shalom economy. It's like, you know, when, when Jesus is telling in Matthew, when you use your one or your two or your three or your ten talents well, it doesn't matter how many talents, it's not the amount of talents, but it's what we have, if we invest that well. And then he comes and asks for an account, and he says, you come and be part of your master's happiness. There is a blessedness, there is a well-being, there is a shalom, which is part of God's blessedness, well-being, and shalom. So at times we need it to be a bit risky. And this woman as an entrepreneur, she will have taken risks, because that's what entrepreneurs do. You know, I used to work with some businessmen, and one of them said, Jesus didn't say, blessed are the cautious. 
And uh, I like that because it's part of who they are, isn't it? They take risks, they go into new ventures. I remember when I picked up this Kurdish couple, it was on a Friday, and on the Saturday I was going away for a week, so I gave my keys to complete strangers. And I thought, ooh, I've never done this in life. And you take a risk, but we do want to bring, you know, a shalom economy. Second aspect I want to highlight is in the next slide, wise speech. There's instructed knowledge, which is on her tongue, it says, in the, and that's lovely, isn't it? Wherever we go, whether it's you speak to your neighbor or you're at a school gate or your fellow students or your family members or, or whoever you meet, you know, just randomly, have you got a word of wisdom? Have you got a instructed knowledge? And that comes, as we know from Isaiah, which is on the second uh, slide. It says, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning my morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. So we can have, we can be people who've got wisdom, who've got a, an instructed tongue because we ourselves have met with him. Because we have drawn from the Bible, we have seen the Spirit highlighting certain aspects to us. So that when we go about our daily business, we've got a word to give out. We've got a piece of the bread of life to give out. And every time, you know, Christians come, we leave a kind of a trail of hope and a kind of trail of goodness and kindness. So when you give out these pieces of the bread of life in your day-to-dayness, it's People consume it, and no doubt they will come back for more. They want to know, what is this loaf I'm eating from? Instructed knowledge is on her tongue. And then it says, she can smile at the days to come. And, and I, that's always been a, quite an interesting text for me, because I, as a child, I was a worrier. I don't know how you were as a child, but I was a little worrier. I felt the responsibility of my whole family, including the dog and including the grandmother, all of that. I was carrying that uh, on my shoulders, and I was always a little worrier. And uh, when I became a Christian, when I was 19, um, and I read this passage, she can smile at the days to come. I thought, I can't really. I worry at the days to come. I frown at the days to come. And... What I said to God is I want to be changed in my inner man. It's not just about how I do things. It's also how I live, isn't it? What my perspective is. And I think over the years, I can say I can smile at the days to come. And that's because of his work and his spirit in my life. Because really, the scripture which most spoke to me is, Martha, you are upset and worried about many things. Yeah? But here we've got a woman who can smile at the days to come. And I think that's part of a character formation that God wants to do in our life. That we've got hope for tomorrow. That is a kind of a trusting smile. You know, I'm going to lose uh, my job at the end of um, June because our, our trust will close down. But I can smile at the days to come, really. And don't say that as a, a credit to me. I, I see that as a deep work of God that he will somehow provide. And otherwise, I'll just knock on your door and say, can you remember? <laughs> what economy are you running these days? <laughs> uh, 
So, but not only ourselves, but in our circle of influence, you know, in the pieces of the bread of life that we hand out, in the instructed knowledge, in the kind or wise word that we hand out, uh, we are helping people around us, smiling at the days to come. You know, always be prepared to give an account of the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an account of the work, you ha uh, the hope that you have. The next aspect I, which spoke to me was her nobility in her work ethic. It says uh, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She does not eat bread of idleness. Now, when you've gone through Proverbs, you probably will have seen some really interesting words about a sluggard. Uh, well, she's not one of those. Uh, and there's something really dynamic about her. And... Um, that sense of um, being fit for the task, um, but also being dedicated with vigor for the task. And, um, and, and I think we, we need to monitor ourselves. You know, have we still got that same passion? Have we still got that same dedication? Uh, and, and obviously when we grow older, then, you know, you change your life, but it's more a matter of the heart. You know, there is a dedication to the various aspects. She does not eat a bread of idleness. And when I was thinking of uh, Lent and, and, you know, just as a sidestep, you know, we've just started Lent. And when we think of the, the death and the resurrection of Christ and we wait upon him. And I was thinking of Paul, you know, when Paul writes to his churches... He more or less, um, he says in 2 Corinthians, he says, you know, think about the riches of others. So the riches of the cross. And then in the light of the riches of the cross, he says, there's something about your dedication and your willingness to give, which you can always match up to the riches which Christ, who for himself, he was rich, but for our sakes, he became poor. And, uh, and Paul is really helping this church to monitor their own dedication and their own willingness, their own vigor, as it were, their own dedication to the task. In 2 Corinthians 8, he says, um, last year you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. And I like that. That he helps the church to monitor, he helps the Christian to monitor themselves. Are you still as passionate as you were last year? Are you still as willing as when you started? How are you going to complete this journey? How are we going to keep the balance in the body of Christ where I give of the abundance of my time and you give of the abundance of your talent and you give of the abundance of some of your finance? How are we together be this vigorous part of the body of Christ who ministers in our time and does him good all the days of our lives. So really, in rounding off a few reflections, if we think of the diamond, if you think of the various facets to our lives, in this time of Lent, you know, in this time of waiting upon God and, and listening to some of those deeper stirrings, but also listening to the, the the kindness and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it's good to ask a few questions to yourself. For example, ponder about some of the facets. Um, 
am I a good daughter or son in this season in which, you know, or parent or sibling, you know, am I doing what I, you know, what is a wise infilling of my role in family life? Am I running a shalom economy? Am I running a household uh, of which the values and the principles is doing the community good? Collectively, are you running a shalom economy? What aspect of my life needs attention? Because sometimes we need to think, ah, yes, I used to be passionate about a hobby, and that was such a great way to connect. But in this time of busyness or exams or work commitments, I have neglected that facet. I remember when I studied and I finished my study and my friend said to me, right, it's time to become hospitable again. And it was such a good comment because in that you know, final year, there's, a, oh, there's an intensity and you, it's not that you become hostile, but you know, there's not this enormous capacity you have for others at that stage. And that's fine because you know, there's times and seasons. But it's good to have friends who say to you, Time to get running again. You're not fit for the task. Or time to open your house a little bit more. Or maybe time to do some study. What about time to self? What about time to go for a walk? What facet of your life, whether it's leisure or family or all sorts of commitment, what facets do I need to really brush up on a little bit? Or in a question, can I smile at the days to come? And if not, do I need to speak to someone? and share something of that turmoil, or that worry, or that anxiety, which there is within me. And also, who do I need to come alongside? If instructed knowledge is on her tongue, is there maybe someone I need to mentor? Is there someone I need to invest my time in? Is there a younger person in the congregation or in my street who would really benefit from having some time with me? So whatever our vocations, we daily make choices affecting our communal well-being, our personal well-being, and it asks questions of our personal integrity. So the choices we make are either based on this really beautiful book of belonging, this beautiful book of becoming, this wisdom which permeates all aspects of our lives, and if we don't draw from that, we are going to be shaped more by the culture in which we live. So go back to the culture and reshape the culture. Even in your workplace, what can you reshape? You know, even in the aspirations you have from, you know, I listened to Buki yesterday. It was, she said, as a student, my aspiration was to go to, to Gucci and become an intern there. But then I saw about you know, the, the values and the principles and the waste. And, the, and I thought, no, what I want to do is I want to start my own fashion way in which I can bring those principles I believe in. I can bring those to the little business I want to... You know, what is the guidance of God? This wisdom is so deeply permeating every aspect of our lives. So really, when we go into this time of Lent, you know, these weeks before we go into um, the celebration of Easter, but also the commemoration of Christ's dying and his rising. How does that shape us? And how does that shape my life, our collective life, what we do in this country? 
so that the testimony which rings out from the church that she does him good all the days of her life. You know, it's not just the refugees who can say that they do us good. But that, you know, the people in our neighborhood, all the various people's groups we come in contact with can say, wow, these Christians, they do good. They bring him honor by the way they live, by the character that they bring as a neighbor, as a school governor, as a grandparent, as a daughter, as an employee. So bless you. That's really what I wanted to leave with you. Can I just briefly pray? I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful book. I thank you for this wisdom from heaven. And I pray that it will permeate our everyday life. And through that, that it will permeate the institutions we are part of or the way we, we reach out to the communities around us. I pray that we will indeed ring a, a run a shalom economy, that we, in the way we steward our gifting, that we're part of the master's happiness, that we're invited to the master's happiness, the blessedness, um, which is attached to being obedient to you. So thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for these beautiful followers. And I pray that all of us will be shaped further by your word today. Amen.